We talk a lot about rental housing being an important part of communities across the country, but each rental property also is a community in and of itself. Yep, that's right. And thinking about a property as a community can impact the way developers approach both business decisions and human aspects of property ownership and management. It seems like we're in the midst of a growing trend of impact-oriented and renter-focused property management and investment. And today on the show, we're going to take a deeper dive into how this approach is put into practice across a range of communities. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Steve Guggenmoss. And I'm Corey Aber. Today on the show, we're going to look into impact-oriented property management. We are joined today by Peter Slough, founder and managing member of Open Path Investments, and Alejandra Montano, project manager at the affiliated property management firm UV Residential. These firms base their approach and practices on emphasizing the connection between the individual renters and the broader community. And they've developed a variety of ways that they do this across their properties. So Peter and Alejandra, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you. Appreciate being here. Thank you for having us. So Peter, before we get into uh, you know what you all are doing today, can we go back to the beginning a little bit? How did you come to start Open Path and develop your philosophy and approach? Yeah, thanks. So like all stories or many stories, we uh, we kind of stumbled into this realm of impact thinking and impact strategy for our properties. It was back in the last Great Recession where we were simply walking our properties in Salt Lake City and really noticed that... Uh, you know, jobs were scarce and residents were suffering and the whole ecosystem was attached to the resident experience. And so we really just asked a simple question and said, what do we do to help? And I'm glad you led with the fact that uh, these actually are communities at, at a micro level because we actually hired a third party consultant who was running a community based program where they shared needs and wants and really kind of uh, cross-collaborated and cross-pollinated just local town needs, whether it's babysitting groups or job placement and that sort of thing. So I realized that at, at our pilot property in Provo, Utah, of all places, we launched what I'll call a grand social experiment where we just sat back and we asked the question, what can we do to help our residents and support and make it a more meaningful place to live? The secret to our sauce in a lot of ways is, is resident engagement. And back then, we kind of announced the program. We said we want to do this thing called Urban Village. And what, what came out of it was sort of shocking. All of a sudden, residents were coming forward, and they were forming babysitting groups, uh, workout groups, book clubs, cooking classes. Community Garden became a big event for everybody, karaoke nights, barbecues, etc. And so it was really pretty wild to see if you stood back and sort of open space for the residents, how they stepped in and actually self-populated the content of what would later be our, our formalized programming. So at the very early days, we, we knew nothing about ESG. We knew nothing about triple bottom line terms. We knew nothing about the word impact. We just actually wanted to help. And we just wanted to see what we could do to help a property and a, and a community thrive. And contrary to the advice of the, at the time, the third party property management company, they advised us not to gather residents. And I, I sat there and was stunned. I, I said, you know, it can't get much worse in this current economic environment. We need to do something as owners and landlords to really help and see what we can do to support the vulnerabilities at our properties. And so what emerged was pretty magical and really was a, a big pivot point for us as a company where we realized that these were three-dimensional business models. These were not spreadsheets, which I've been classically trained. 
And these were not uh, just heads on beds, as some people like to say. These were residents who were actually sharing lives and sharing walls, and they were they were real people that called our properties home. So it was a big deal to sort of make this transition for us. And we realized that we, we actually had a lot we could do to offer and a lot that we could do that uh, would help solve for various vulnerabilities. I will admit that in the early days, reporting was a challenge. We had lots of nice stories and lots of nice thank you notes from, from residents, but we weren't very good at, at measuring uh, results or social impact or environmental impact for that matter as well. So it's been a journey over the last 12, 13 years of really refining what we're trying to solve for, how we measure it, and what what results can actually be attained through our having a front row seat to our residents' lives. That's a fantastic story and history of what you've been doing. And to think that, you know, it was kind of based on the needs and based on what you saw in communities and giving that the ability to grow and and then thinking about how you can measure it and, and lead to more success in the future is great. Um, maybe as you moved on from those initial efforts, as you said, in Provo, how did things grow from there? I think after the first pilot program at the property in Provo, we needed to figure out how to scale this model across our portfolio. And back then we had, you know, maybe 16 properties at the time, and now we're, we're twice that size. But the, the real meaningful work gets done when you really focus and you figure out, okay, what can we do and what should we, what should we really sort of spend our time on that's going to make an impact at the property itself and for the residents as well. So we developed what we call the four pillars of impact. And the first one is building community. How do we actually connect residents and how do we actually create safe spaces and fun, fun spaces for residents to gather and share their lives versus just sharing the walls? The second pillar of impact is channeling resources. There are so many great nonprofits and organizations in the surrounding areas of almost every market. And so we've really learned to figure out which of those are available that might come into the property and work on things like health and fitness or financial fitness or uh, well-being or uh, shared resources, food banks, that sort of thing. And so we really learned to tap the surrounding region for resources that might help alleviate some of the pressure that the residents were feeling. The third pillar, equally important, is developing leaders. Most of the residents that we encounter have never been given the chance to sort of develop themselves Maybe have never had the uh, the freedom to think outside the box, and what we like to do is get re- resident engagement at a high level where they're actually building their own leadership skills. They're, they may be running a book club, they may be uh, organizing a workout group, they, they might be just doing a cooking class, and so those types of things may sound simple, but it actually is meaningful at the property level and for the residents themselves, who all of a sudden experience a sense of belonging and camaraderie and and community for the first time, really. And then the last pillar is known as enhancing environments. So we spend a lot of time making sure that these are safe properties that are uh, well-appointed and making sure that uh, these are good places to, whether you're seniors or single parents or families or what have you. And so we really want to make sure we pay attention to what their experience is while they're at the property itself. And also that that does lead into some eco-consciousness with how to live with a lighter footprint and how to recycle goods and and services. And so it, it, it becomes more of a a catch-all for how do we just make it a better place for people to live and make sure that their experience while they're out of properties are are good ones. Oh, it's so interesting. And, you know, with those those four pillars, you know, you talked about trying to focus more, but even in that focus, it looks like you're able to really affect a lot of different things there. One of the things you mentioned, some of the, the lessons learned uh, 
over time and you know want to get into these a little bit more but in some of those earlier properties what are some of the things that you saw falling out a little bit you know, maybe that you couldn't affect as much well you know as with anything social it's a little bit messy right it's easy to measure um energy savings with led lighting or water savings which is obviously a great time to a great place to spend your time but with people we're we're humans and so it's not as clear cut and and things like how to how to measure a smile is not the easiest thing to do but we did, we have learned to balance uh, the the resident engagement, encourage residents to come and and form groups and gather and host events, and that's really been the secret to our our success in terms of the the actual resident led events. And I, I know Alejandro will want to speak to that in a bit, but it's been a fun process to truly understand humanity at its most basic level and what what uh, the needs are because they are somewhat predictable, yet they're always specific and unique to each property depending on which market we're talking about. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, you had earlier mentioned the the four pillars and uh, and Alejandra doing some work kind of measuring the impact of all those. Maybe we could start with the building community. Sure. So with building community, we found that residents are inherently more fulfilled and resilient when connected to community. So we have a resident-led program where they receive a concession and we allow residents to choose and host their own events and really become leaders in their community through event advertising, budgeting, purchasing, hosting their events. We have categories for the types of events that they host from social, like a potluck, educational workshops, eco-friendly health and wellness types of events. We also have our partnership events and virtual events. So they, they actually help us in creating a monthly newsletter that we put out in their communities. They've really been able to become champions of where they live and give back. So. We're really proud of the program that we have, and we offer them a recommendation letter and a, as a reference for them at the end of their program when they volunteer with us. So that is something that we're very proud of in having our build community pillar. Oh, and then when you think about your next pillar, looking at channeling resources, how do you factor that in? Well, as operators, we have a role in playing and connecting residents to the broader set of resources and improving their quality of life. So we achieve this through increasing access to supportive services through housing and finding local and national partnerships. So we start with the local United Way chapter, local law enforcement and mutual assistance network, even local schools. We have teachers that come into our communities, especially during the summertime and offer aftercare tutoring or ESL classes. We also partner with sustainability-focused nonprofits such as Scraps um, here in Denver, where they provide composting services and education. So we are able to really give back through channeling resources with all kinds of partnerships. For example, in our retirement communities have partnered with the local health department to give vaccination clinics on site, eye exams on site. So we've really been able to find resources that are available that residents might not have known about that are actually free of cost to us. And it's a win-win that way. Yeah, that's really fantastic. I'm sure that that the example that you gave of of seniors you know, not having to go out to get immunizations and things like that are fantastic. And and uh, the idea of having teachers come in it's it's so intuitive. Is it when when there's a partnership with these groups? Are for example the the immunization is that donations of time and and efforts from the partner organizations, or how do those things get put together? Well, a lot of these local nonprofits are actually looking to promote their services, and we actually are able to provide and solve that missing piece that they're looking for 
people that need that service and we have that demographic readily available to them. So they're happy to promote that with us. Sometimes we'll offer, for example, free food, maybe during a vaccination clinic or an educational workshop, but their services are willing to provide and happy to because they're already looking for uh, people to give back to. And with the teachers, they have we found that they already come on site. They want to find these students, but we have that middle ground of uh, connecting them through our communications with our residents. That's fantastic. And then the, I, I think that maybe, you know, moving on to the next pillar, not only do you provide these really direct benefits to the, to the residents, but you kind of go beyond just them receiving some of these benefits, but also kind of develop your own human capital. Is that what the Developing Leaders is about? It's really to be able to serve others. Um, we provide coaching and mentorship to become a hub of our actual community to broaden their life opportunities. So we're not experts in that. That's why we partner with other nonprofits that are in developing um, mental health awareness and technology courses. Or for example, we have a partner that we just met with recently. I am Team Strong that has virtual boot camps for girls to learn about self-esteem and healthy communication skills. And all of these resources already exist, but we're able to provide that just by connecting that partnership with our residents. Is everything that you do at the properties, is it all for your residents or or do you also find ways to engage the community more broadly outside of the property? That's a great question. We're actually very excited that we have a community garden that we've just built here in Denver in partnership with Tito's Vodka and Denver Urban Gardens. It's a huge garden. I think it has about 20 plots where we engage the local community, all of our neighbors and residents um, that live in the area to take these gardening workshops and garden meetups and host events there. There's a dog park there. So we want to become a hub and engage the the outside as well. Uh, that, that's fantastic. And you know, such a, a great example of that intersection of the community within the apartment as part of the community overall. And, and all of these you know different groups that you talked about that all have their own sort of sub-communities that, that you're bringing together in these ways. Really interesting and, and fantastic. So thinking of your fourth pillar, then uh, you talked about enhancing environments. And you know you just mentioned a community garden, so I, I imagine that has some aspect of it, but, but I imagine there's more to it as well. Yes, we have other Green Up initiatives in education to ra- raise awareness. We have local beehives in, in our apartment community, so we partner with local beekeepers, and we have honey that is produced at our at our apartment communities, we also have, this is one of the, the challenges and the things that we've learned through trial and error. We've had a chicken coop at some of our properties that was really exciting at first, but didn't end up working out because we actually needed a permit for a poultry license. But there's some things that we tr- we've tried and that have worked really well, such as the beehives, because it's something that you don't really have to maintain or worry about, but they're really providing a great service for our environment. And we have that honey that we can give to our residents, which they love to see, and it's very minimal cost. And it's a wonderful thing to have, but we also have a, a te- like technology, the, the way that Peter phrased it earlier, let, letting that do the work for us with LED lights and other like low water flow um, appliances and things like that. But mainly through our community gardens, beehives and educational workshops is how we develop that stewardship for the environment. 
Speaking about uh, involving partners, we partnered with a group called Echelon last year, 2021. And we started this program of low flow water savings and really trying to conserve water. And 2021, at only three of our properties, like we barely got the program started, we saved nearly 13 million gallons of water uh, just over three properties last year alone. I expect that number to triple this year. And 13 million gallons is a little bit hard to grasp, but it equates to literally 23 Olympic-sized swimming pools of water that we've saved through this effort. The folks at Freddie obviously know a lot about the, the Green Up initiatives and what's going on, but we're really starting to get very hard and good data that suggests that we actually can make a significant impact relative to the, the eco initiatives as well. And then the other one is LED lighting. That's a, that's a no-brainer, in my opinion, and that should just be you know, again, technology is coming towards us, which is nice. And we're seeing a lot of pickup on the on the eco side as well. That's really fantastic. And uh, it's great to hear about the individual kind of activities and uh, and the granular level of detail of what's going on, whether, whether it's beehives or, or whatever it might be. But then what you said there, Peter, also gives us a feel of kind of the magnitude to go from these individual events up to something as big as like, you know, 13 million gallons of water um, is really significant when you add that up across things. How many properties and things like that are involved now? And uh, how broad is this for you? We have... 34 properties now with almost 7,000 different units. The main thing that we track is overall positive social engagement and attendance within our program. So the goal is to reach as many residents as possible. And I define reach as giving them opportunities to participate in the program and benefit from our resources. So we track everything in a dashboard from all our resident leaders in each community, the event types, the attendance, the categories where they're um, hosting the events, whether it's, like I mentioned, if it's community service, if it's a social event. Uh, now we also track the demographics of our resident leaders. That sounds great. And uh, and you've talked about the, the different things that you're measuring. And I know Peter talked about how... Uh, how you've got the programs on the start, and then you're also doing some 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 measuring of different categories, um, and which I'm sure helps you, you know, grow the product and see what's successful and and uh, understand and and communicate with investors as well. But uh, um, can you tell me a little bit about um, how you're you know measuring the impact at different properties? Sure. So we track the impact starting with our monthly newsletters and the resident leaders that we have. We have a health metrics that we have for the Urban Village program. A healthy property is considered one with a full um, resident leader team. So if the apartment community has 100 units, we ask to have one resident leader hosting events. We also require partnerships and uh, site team participation from our property managers and the external community. So we track the health of the program that way. Um, we also track resident attendance and volunteers that attend our events, the types of events that they're hosting themselves, whether it's at a senior property, if they decide to combine um, chair exercises and a bingo, <laughs> or if they have a community cleanup, we track those types of categories, how many people attend. Uh, we asked the resident leaders to give us a recap of how their event went with some photos. So we include photos in our reporting for our investors and for the rest of our company to see what, what is happening. We also track our resident leader data. So the demographics of 
first of all, where did they hear about us? If it's social media, email, flyer, our word of mouth. We track the resident leader gender, where we found that 80% of them are actually women. Um, and they're also trend to be very young with 45% um, ages 18 to 25 and 30% ages 25 to 35. We track what their industry is, their occupation. A lot of them are in customer service, education, and healthcare already. So they're, they are giving back to their communities and they're interested in, in joining us um, in, the, in this program. And they, we actually have found so many beautiful stories of how maybe a resident just moved to a new city and they hear about the Urban Village program and that makes them want to join and attend an event that they wouldn't have otherwise, because this rarely happens in uh, communities that are maybe in need, not luxury apartments that have yoga classes that are complimentary, but we're actually giving residents the power to host what they want and to meet their neighbors. In tracking all of the attendance and the engagement, we're able to get even more granular of what they're looking for per region. So that, that's really interesting with that much data that you're capturing. And certainly, you know, the investor angle is, is one aspect, but for you as property managers and all of that, all that you're learning here, uh, how is that causing you to shift some of your programs or change what you're offering? In the beginning, we were just wanting to engage as many people as possible, do whatever we could to just get people out into our events and to join our program and to give us their feedback. Now that we have this system set up, we have an actual wait list of resident leaders. We have an application process. We have an orientations that we hold on Zoom. We've even made it so that we have annual themes and goals. So our themes right now are women's empowerment, youth mentorship, and environmental awareness. So now learning about all the events that residents want to host and what they're interested in, in doing site assessments going into new regions, we've been able to figure out what we can actually impact. And women's empowerment, youth mentorship, and environmental awareness are things we can actually impact. So when when you look at that impact, what does that look like over time? Well, through women's empowerment, it's more through partnership where we can give more access to leadership positions for women and girls in our communities. So we have um, the I Am Team Strong, we have Girl Rising, where we have uh, given the opportunity to share stories and become content creators themselves. Through uh, youth mentorship, we have aftercare programs and, and summer camps that we can offer from our properties through the local recreation departments and cities. And environmental awareness is something we can track just by having more workshops, learning about bees, learning about gardening, learning about recycling and composting. It's more just offering educational services to our residents. So you mentioned also the uh, regional differences. Uh, so what are you finding uh, across regions? Well, that is more so on the types of events that are being hosted. So for example, in Colorado, we have a lot more eco-friendly and outdoorsy kinds of events, local hikes. We have partners that bring people out to um, the state parks and national parks and promote how to be outdoors safely and with confidence um, in California as well. Uh, also with uh, community service, it depends on each region in Tennessee. We have a huge uh, community service, maybe because of like the Southern culture. <laughs> they, uh, we have residents that put together emergency preparedness kids as their idea because of the tornado uh, season. 
So things like that, it really, it's it depending on the region and listening to our residents first. What, what do they need? What do they want? Yeah, I'd like to add to that because that you're touching on something that's pretty key to our success. And what we have found is that uh, if we just kind of create the framework, we'll let the residents tell us what they want to do and what they're interested in. And so far be it for us to, to take a top-down approach and, and self-impose or impose our, our, our thinking. It's, it's much more valuable to get res engagement and let them provide the content for themselves. That makes a ton of sense, and and it's uh it's something that uh, it becomes apparent from from listening to the discussion here, um in terms of how different they are, and considering you know in in Tennessee the the local weather patterns, right? So certainly that's hard to think of from a distance. It does solve for a lot of this you know political sort of spectrum of of opinions and attitudes across the country, and so we we kind of try and remain um, neutral on all subjects, political, and just really let the residents tell us what they want to do. That's great. And, um, you know, as I think about it, you know, I heard the, the, the recent theme is, is, you know, uh, empowering women. And, uh, I'm wondering, you know, what, what are some other kind of themes that have come up over, over time, or, or is there any kind of look ahead as to what the themes in the future might be? We want to do what we can, um, well, so we don't want to add too many more themes. Those are the ones that we know we can readily affect through the partnerships that we've reached out to. We can't solve every issue. Um, we have had challenges, for example, with uh, financial literacy was a big topic, a theme that we had in the past year that we found is more more difficult to influence because maybe our residents are hesitant to share information and attend financial workshops through their landlord. So we've provided budgeting classes with local credit unions to also learn about credit scores, learn about taxes, but it has had relatively low turnout, maybe because of who we are to them. So they might not want to share that type of information or attend. But we know that with the others, especially with mental health and youth mentorship, we can influence that and residents are more open to attending those types of activities with us. That approach that you have of, of empowering the residents so much, it seems like it can constantly evolve, right? Like you talked about having the framework in, in place. So are there opportunities to expand that framework or to, to reach more markets and, and see things evolve in, in that way? Fortunately, we're at a point in time where the industry is actually starting to collaborate. And there's a group called the Multifamily uh, Impact Council that's been recently formed. And I know Freddie Mac is a member. And we're probably the smallest member within this group of household names of, of other participants. But what's happening and why it's such a great time is that with the 43 million renter households in the country, as an industry, we really have a huge opportunity if we just start to open source and share our learnings and collaborate on how we impact. And it's been a really, really interesting journey along the way. But as a midsize operator, we can only do so much. But the more we have these conversations and the more we start to uh, share notes and really work together as an industry, that's where we're going to see a, a big systemic difference in our in our social vulnerabilities and our environmental vulnerabilities as well. So it's, a, it's an important time. And the good news is that capital, whether it's debt or equity, really wants to help. And so as operators, we should take advantage of that and start to really focus on these things because it's an important part for our step as, as an evolving industry especially now where, where the planet is a little bit crazy from time to time. And so if we can just kind of gather and share notes and work together, you'll see a lot of change that's actually going to be a good thing for the U.S. population. 
I I want to add one thing <laughs> that um, you mentioned asking about how we can connect and what we can look forward to. One that has been extremely valuable um, in seeing, especially in communities that are more in need or maybe more ignored, is uh, partnering with local law enforcement and mutual assistance networks, where it really we building we're building that bridge uh, where some people may have kind of a distrust with local law enforcement, and we bring them to our community events. We bring firefighters and police officers, and we want to engage them with the community to let them know that this is a friendly environment, that this is one where you can get to know each other and, and build that connection. So we can look forward to having those types of partnerships. As operators, what better investment could there be than in the health and wellness of our residents? So again, this is a real chance for us to get to collaborate and really make a difference. And I'm calling it a call to action for the industry, frankly. This is the time for us to really look our kids in the eyes and say, this is how we impact. That's fantastic. And uh, I mean, all the ideas that you've put forward and as you say, kind of building on those and you know, through the Multifamily Impact Council and just more and more momentum, I think that you have a proven record of success. And uh, thanks for being here today to talk about it. Oh, we love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast is produced and supported by a team of our Freddie Mac colleagues, including our production leads, Jenny Wynn and Raquel Sams, and audio producer, Dalton Ocola. To listen to more and keep up with the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our website, mf.freddiemac.com slash research for the full catalog of podcast episodes and original Freddie Mac research.